0: Hello and welcome to the Boys in a Band podcast. I'm Richard Gallagher.
1: And I'm Peter Smith. And on this week's episode, we're joined by Dan Haggis from The Wombats, talking about dance floor fillers, evolving sounds, landing a long-awaited number one album, which they did recently, and their exciting plans for the future.
0: Yes, indeed. Plus, to plenty of talk about the northeast scene in Liverpool and beyond, how the world was transformed by songs like Let's Dance the Joy Division and Moving to New York off their fantastic debut album you can actually pick up a special 15th anniversary reissue of that debut album, A Guide to Love, Loss and Desperation. It's actually the first time you can get it on vinyl as well, so definitely worth checking out that's out this week.
1: Yeah, one to add to your collection, Rich, um, <laughs> to have that out, and great to see them with a busy summer ahead uh, getting around the festivals. We talk about those at the top of the podcast, so make sure you keep an ear out for that. And throughout, really, Dan's got some great insight into life in the studio, life on the road, inside the band it really is a must
0: listen if you like the wombats so here he comes dan haggis from the wombats okay on this edition of the boys in the band podcast we're delighted to be joined by dan haggis from the wombats how are you doing dan yeah very well thanks for having me oh thanks for coming on dan uh, both big fans
1: of the band so uh, looking forward to diving into your story um we actually start these podcasts with three quick questions we call the sound check and the first one is always, where are you? Because we can't see you because your video is not working. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Um, I'm in
2: uh, at home in Liverpool. I moved recently moved back here Um the Mersey was calling to me. So I'm back and loving it. Um, and yet yeah, it's a pretty lovely day, actually. Very sunny and the birds are singing. So I can't complain. Back in Liverpool and everything seems the same. Is that right? Exa- yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the fact that I've got a seven month old baby, so everything's oh, wow. very different indeed. <laughs> Doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? So probably leave the song the way it was.
0: Uh, very different. Um, I wonder if the, the newborn has affected your listening to habits, Dan. Our next question in the sound check is what you're listening to at the moment. Yeah. Um, to be honest, like to, well,
2: I'd like to I'll say something cool like BC Camp Lights because I have actually been <laughs> listening to his new stuff. Um, but my most played is probably the happy song by Imogen yes, if, Yeah.
1: Have you heard that? Yes. Yeah. I, um, then the other day, a big, as well, big like... breakthrough for me, found a YouTube version with a 60 minute loop of that song. <laughs> so, so, so rather than having to reset it every three minutes, you can just hit the loop and <laughs> that's an hour. Oh my God. I mean, I feel like that's basically what ends up happening, but I'm driving and I'm
2: like, literally just go. <laughs> I just go to bed with that song just looping in my head um nah. but it's, no, uh, I it's... think
1: if you're looking for if you're looking for listens and downloads and streams I think yeah children's music is probably the way to go isn't it bait soothing baby music um yeah I guess a lot of clicks definitely
2: watch this space from the one yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> um but with your current collection of songs you're uh, attacking the summer You've got some busy oh well, busy summer ahead, some good shows coming up a North America tour in September as well um Dan but Times Square, Newcastle, in a few weeks' time, Two Door Cinema Club—that looks like a good one—and then Crystal Palace as well. How how are the preparations going? Yeah, so far, um,
2: I mean, I played drums for about half, half an hour today, and uh, but apart from that, non-existent. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got we're gonna gonna get together and rehearse uh, the week before the first shows uh, in May. So yeah, no, really looking forward to it. We haven't played since um, we went to India, like at the start of Feb. Um, and did a show over there which was amazing fun um, and like first time we'd ever been over there but definitely just starting to get that sort of itchy feet feeling like ready to do some more shows so um, and it I guess like you know for us over our career like the summers are always like festivals and live you know the live music and in, in the sun is 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 pretty like it's an amazing feeling so looking forward to it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great lineups on those. And and yeah, I think the, the festival season, all the lines are looking really good. And especially for, for bands of this era that we're, we're focused on, I think it shows that enduring interest uh, in bands formed in, in those noughties. And, and you guys have, of course, gone from you know, strength to strength with, with the, your last album, Fix Yourself, um, Not The World, going to number one last year, your first number one album. You know, that must have been a great feeling after, uh, after the previous albums and all the work to get there, you finally got that number one album. Yeah, it was a um, bit
2: of a surprise, um, but you know, it's it's a, it's just a number. But it's it's one of those things that straight away, like the amount of texts and you know messages from all our family and friends and stuff. Like it's def you know it's a it's a career milestone and achievement for us, and we were all pretty excited. Um, and and just just as you say, all that work and um, touring and everything like paid off, and all the fans like sticking by us and you know, getting out there to support the album and us was uh is, is such an amazing feeling and one we don't take for granted at all. Um
1: so yeah, no, it was it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's um it's been a bit of a trend actually recently, Dan. I've noticed that Cortina's recently had a number one because Sabian, Jamie T, Arcade Fire, Frank Turner, Bastille. They've all had number one albums, all sort of started similar sort of time to you as well. Um quite a few of those getting their first number one album as well. Uh, it's quite an interesting trend. I thought at the moment these these sort of guitar bands coming back. We we talk a bit uh, about sort of guitar music sort of fading away after this period of time and maybe not being as prominent as it was was then. But uh, there, there's clearly a, an audience for it. Yeah, I think o- over time as well. You know, all all the bands you mentioned they they just keep
2: putting music out, and I guess they have a place in in their in people's lives and and fans kind of over the years I guess you you would hope that you accumulate more and more fans um and then eventually you just you get that album that everyone just goes oh yeah really into this um so yeah I mean all really lucky for any any band or artist that can have a career that goes for multiple albums you know it's 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 in it's in the lap of the music gods I think really isn't it it's it's such a hard industry to like stay in and keep going and um yeah we're just
1: so fortunate that we've still got people who want to come out and see us and yeah yeah as you say not easy to do but was it was that part of the plan when you got together in 2003 started releasing those eps and singles in the in the years afterwards that it would be a a long-term thing that 20 years later you still be going strong I mean can't believe it but yeah I guess like
2: we we never we never really talked about it because when you when you're in your early 20s it's just you know everything's in the moment isn't it and it was just like you live song by song and mm. we kind of every every milestone you reach um you just then you get past that one and then it's like right what's next and i think you do that in life in general it's just humans um but for us it was like you know we'd do an ep we'd do a bunch of gigs and then we'd just start making more music for the next one and it was just the same really with uh, our goal for the for those early years was like we just wanted to make an album get signed and hit the road like for real and get to travel the world you know that was kind of you know we'd be like oh imagine if we got to do like an american tour or go to australia or japan or you know because you just want to travel as well don't you um and so it was it was not like we had a big uh board with our master plan on it or anything but yeah very glad that it has
0: lasted yeah big time so um yeah let's delve into some of those earlier days and dan um you know you t- talk about the release of those eps and getting signed you know, Let's Dance. Joy Division was obviously clearly a breakthrough moment, but in the in the build up to that, can you can you tell us about how the band actually came together, the the music you sort of set out to try and make, and and the scene around Liverpool at that time? <clears throat> yeah. Um. So we got we got together in Lipper. Um.
2: In like yeah, 2003, and we I guess to start with it was just we set out to it was there was loads of loads of bands in Lipper that were um, amazing musicians and. Um, I guess we always, we always like to begin with felt like that the Wombats was kind of a almost not doing the opposite of that, but it was just, it was a bit more like punk and kind of, yeah, indie and the idea of like our live shows we used to, you know, the first one we ever did, we wore jester hats and like we used to stop in the middle of songs and there was like ridiculous kind of almost absurdist moments in some of the early songs. Um, and we were just like having a laugh the whole time. Um, with still with like, all the, you know, the lyrics that Math was always writing were very um, sort of therapy for him. And the band was always, it had that therapy side of it, uh, not the band therapy, like as in, you know, therapeutic kind of um, going to a, re- you know, rehearsing, making the music, getting all together, like hanging out with your friends, drinking some beers and stuff, like going to gigs and getting shit faced afterwards, you know, all of that side of things. It was like, it was all this is one just fun experience and it just it went from there to like you know over the first couple of years it was like we in terms of the scene in Liverpool you know we start the more and more gigs we did um we started like do you remember the altar kicks
0: yeah um yeah.
2: we started like we do a residency where like well they were had they had a residency at this bar Carova and we would we went on their residency and then we were like oh that's a good idea and then we did a residency and you know, we started like putting on our own nights in various places and um just built up a fan base around Liverpool. And I remember our manager, he um he booked us into like a few schools around Liverpool. Not even sure where that idea came from, but um oh well, that's right. No, because we couldn't, you know, at the time there weren't many 14 plus gigs available for like kids in the city. Um, I mean, obviously you got your fake IDs and stuff, but like for <laughs> the younger kids, um, it was actually like, it was a great idea because we went, we did those gigs and the kids all loved them and then we started, and we did a few like 14 plus nights in places and they were just, they started absolutely smashing it and there would just be like loads of groups of, um, yeah, kids from around Liverpool would come out and see us and I guess like, it just, it went from there and it just built and built and I think it got to the point where um, the, like labels and stuff were like, who's this band, the Wombats, who've just sold out like the Carling Academy to, you know 500 people downstairs like they're not even signed this is a bit weird so then interest started getting garnered and then they came and saw us and um you know the rest followed um and i mean it just felt like there was we were going to gigs just all the time either playing or going to it you know there was just i mean there was and still is like so much music in liverpool it was kind of it 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 was just everything in in our day to day really um which it's Is inspiring as well being in a band constantly being surrounded by other people of the same age like trying to make it you know being in bands and i guess you all kind of like sounds start bleeding into each other and um you know you're like oh that's that's really cool and you, you feed off each other and like push each other and all the rest of it so it
1: was a great city to be to be doing music in yeah and it was yeah great in that city but it became a nationwide thing didn't it and when let's dance the joy division picked up that best dance floor filler enemy awards. And it, you know, it absolutely is that that was in 2007. You're right at the peak in terms of the amount of bands and the dominance of that type of music across the airwaves and mm. uh, the gigs everywhere you could go. It was just, I guess, a perfect timing for you having sort of built that, built that base, as you said, to, to then, to then launch with that kind of record Um, at that point. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird how things like
2: happen. Cause um, i moving to New York. We'd, 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 we 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 had that song. I think I think it was like 2005, maybe 2006, and you mm. know it got like a few plays here and there. But you know it took it. It just takes time to like we re-released
1: actually... it, didn't you? That one, yeah. Then yeah. we
2: then we re-released it um, later in the next year um, mm. because it hadn't really and well actually we re-recorded it and then re re-re- then re-released that version mm. um, and. Yeah. The, I remember at the time, like we, when we were driving to gigs, we'd be listening to radio one. And at the time, as you say, like all the music on radio one, then it was like, it was just guitar music pretty much, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, and how obviously things have changed now. So maybe that's why, you, you know, people's talk about guitar music going <laughs> down, but in reality, I don't think if you go to loads of festivals, we play out guitar music's alive and well, like it's all, you know, it never really went anywhere. Cause I think from a live point of view, at least, um, you know, it's just the energy of, of a band, like, playing with, with their instruments is just, mm. and, like, yeah, there's still, people love that, I think, and, what well, I do, um, and yes, it might not be, like, what's the most popular thing on certain radio stations, but um, you can still find it out there if, if you dig.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and, um, and yeah, I think, uh, I think one of the, Talked about the recent number one album shortly ago. I think one of the most surprising aspects of that was that was that your debut album didn't get to number one. I just felt like it was such a a huge hit at the time. I was surprised that it it didn't. But talk about that debut album, A Guide to Love, Loss and Desperation. Um, It obviously went down extremely well and must have been a very proud moment to get that debut album out and release. What are your memories of uh, the release of it and and touring it and how how it really gathered pace for you guys?
2: <clears throat> um, yeah well it, it, it was this kind of culmination of the first three years of the band um, you know those 13 songs all seem to just sort of rise to the top of our list of like what would our first album be um, and we really for that first album we really wanted to like capture the essence of like our live shows which was just high energy like and you know fun um, slightly chaotic at times kind of uh gigs and I remember our A&R guy saying to us like we just need to get that onto a CD like how we just need to capture that basically um let's not fuck with it um so we we wanted to well and we, up until that point we'd kind of approached our recording as like we'd go in sort of because of time constraints with being in Lipper it, like we used to book in the nighttime slot uh because we were always really like late to booking in the studio so you could get free studio time in lipper basically and so we'd go and like load in at 11 o'clock at night and leave at seven in the morning when students were arriving and we'd try and do sometimes we'd do four or five songs in that period so it was very much like set everything up ourselves press record hammer them down and then do a few overdubs and get out of there and you know that was it so we that was kind of how we did things um it's like guerrilla recording um and then we, um, when it came to doing the album, it was, we we sort of did it in a similar way where we did, I think we recorded like 16, 17 songs in 19 days. You know, it was very much like set up all the mics and then off we go, no click track, nothing, just smash it out. Um, so, and the memories of recording it were just, it was so fun. Like we went to Rockfield in um, in Monmouth, Wales, mm. and the, you know, where countless classic albums and and. Um, songs have been recorded you know you walk into the room and it's like oh Freddie Mercury played on that piano and um, Liam Gallagher tried to smash that door down and you know like all the little stories that you hear (laughs) from the people who work there and so straight away you're like oh wow we're walking on hallowed ground here and there was just this excitement with being there Um, and yeah we just we just went for it and to be honest after that like everything just sort of snowballed because we went we recorded and then we were doing festivals and um, and then we went straight on tour with like the Holloways, and then we did an Enemy tour, and so it was that whole period was just this sort of blur of touring, partying, and you know the, the album just kind of it, we'd we'd recorded it and mixed it. We went to New York to mix it with Rich Costey, and so that was another amazing, unbelievable experience. Um, and everything was just happening so quickly, so it's just a whirlwind to be honest. Um, and then it kind of it came out and I feel like we were even maybe on tour in not in Europe at the time I honestly I actually can't remember the day it came out because it was just such madness at the time and we were partying like really hard just all the time because you have this sense of um you know oh almost like not imposter syndrome but it's a little bit of that where you're kind of like I wonder when anyone's going to realize like that you know that they've let us go on tour and do this (laughs) stuff like let's make the most of it so you know we just didn't sleep enough and had the had the most unbelievable like couple of years for that for that first album um but yeah lots of good memories it's just um there's almost too many memories
1: (laughs) so when you approach that second album modern glitch is it do you, you come into that with more confidence? Presumably, that imposter syndrome is sort of fading when you've played to so many huge crowds and you've sold so many records. You you, you must feel feel pretty more confident and uh, established in what you're doing by that second album.
2: Yeah, in so, in some respects, but I think it's more like you just you never take anything for granted when you're doing music, and you're always trying to like beat your last song or beat your last album or you know it, whatever whatever that feels to you. You're trying to push things forward and um grow as a band and discover you know try and search for a new sound that gets you really excited or a song that you feel like you've you know you've never made before and so we've always just approached it like that really and then with Mm. that second album we toured so much um you know drums bass and guitar predominantly when it came to the next album i think it was like oh it'd be nice to we actually the first songs we made for that were much more grungy um songs like um that some of them you'd hear on the Beta Z sides. If everyone, if you ever heard that? Um, but it then, since definitely started becoming more of a thing. Um, you know, like Perfect Disease and stuff like where we were, we were deliberately trying things that we definitely had not done before. Um, so uh, yeah, that was that was like, let's if we haven't done it before, that's a good thing. Let's try that. Um, so I guess that's how we approached it from from then on, really.
0: Excellent. And yeah, there was a then a, a bit of a delay really before the, the third album. We had uh, the single "Your Body Is a Weapon" out in twenty thirteen, uh, but the third album didn't come out till twenty fifteen. So, what was that that period in in the band like? Was it a tricky writing season, or, or what was it? Um, I think I think it was more just like because we toured so much on the
2: first and second albums. Like we, you know, we released the second album in like was it two thousand and eleven. I feel like maybe yeah. um and then you know we probably toured until pretty much 2013 almost i would say and then yeah the the writing for for every album it sort of has its um has its moments and <laughs> we don't we we try and like we always have a bit of a break after we've you know we've toured so intensively like same for this album now we just we finished in uh, december and apart from like, as I said, a smattering of gigs this year, it's like we we've just been doing side project stuff um for this first half of the year. Um just so that we get out of like the intensity of one bat's world and touring and all the rest of it. And then when we approach it, the next album kind of with a fresh mindset and like, you know, okay, cool, we've drawn a land of that, let's let's mm-hmm. move on and start afresh. Cause I think if we if we tried to just like finish one tour jump straight into the studio um you're just burning the candle a little bit too much and you know you don't want to be in a studio kind of just trying to you know churn out a song or butt heads. or you know we spend a lot of time on the tour bus together and stuff so it's it's good to have a little bit of space and um so that yeah that's what we've always done that's sort of
1: yeah i mean yeah it makes sense to have that break sort of from a yeah just as you say just giving yourself a breather but does it does that also contribute to what you were talking there about the sort of the evolution of the sound bringing in the synths like i think like cheetah tongue is like one of my favorite wombat song but it's very different you know that that came out in 2018 Mm. that's very different to what you know what you started as still got that wombat's fat feel hasn't it but it's it's clearly a, a a step in a direction away from from that original sound
2: yeah completely and then same with this last album the first song we put out was method to the madness which mm. feels like so different to anything we've done before um and yeah i, I don't know I, it's hard to say isn't it if, but i think that those gaps and working on doing some side project stuff really just helps like yeah declutter the brain and you learn some things from other projects that you do and from that time time away from it kind of you just recharge your batteries and um when you come to when we come to when we get together, it's usually like there's an explosion of yeah creativity and songs and stuff. So um,
0: yeah, 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 absolutely. I suppose it makes it uh, hard to predict where your sound will go next. Then I guess Dan, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what what are the what are the future plans? I, I heard yeah. that uh, Murph's busy writing. Is there, there more wombats music uh, in the offing? Um, no,
2: yeah, Murph's recording his um, a solo album me and Todd are doing another Sunship album that we've Sunship balloon that we've, we're nearly finished with the mixing on that. Um, cause with, <laughs> with the pandemic, uh, we had two out, two years of no touring. So I think for all three of us, like we made a lot of music that we need to find homes for. So, um, mm-hmm. that's kind of happening, but yeah, no, we're going to get together and write around some of the festivals this summer cause Murph lives in America towards in Norway. So, you know, we'll, we'll use the, the, the fact that we're all together in the same country, like we're going to try and do some writing probably from the end of May onwards um, and then take it song by song as we've always done and just sort of see where it takes us. And there's usually like a key, a song that you, you know, that we do that like starts to become a template almost where we're like, Oh, that's, that's a direction, you know, whether it's, yeah, cheetah tongue or mm. your body is a weapon or Greek tragedy or jump into the fog, you know, there's a, there's a song that you go like, Oh, let's do, let's like, we're onto something here. And then the next songs you make after that can all start to like, feel like they're part of the same world. Um
1: oh, so must yeah. be quite exciting uh, then to, to have oh, that thought yeah. that, you know, when you, you'll get together, you know, who's going to produce something or I've got, a little, I've been working on a little something, this could work. And you just don't, you don't know. It's exciting, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's honestly, it, it is so exciting. And like you get in a room and someone picks up a guitar and just starts messing with things and, or mm. we start jamming all together. And before you know it, you've got this like, song that's just appearing um which is i think for most musicians like that is one of the best feelings when uh you you know you get to the end of the day and that morning this thing didn't exist and then in the evening it's like whoa Mm. how did like you can't even remember how it came it's just sort of it just appears um it's pretty magical
1: that's the i guess that's the uh the beauty of it but i guess the frustration as well when it's not quite happening yeah. you never know do you
2: oh god yeah when it doesn't flow it's, it's <laughs> it is one of the most annoying feelings because you're like i just want that feeling where it all comes together so easily why are you being so hard merv's walking around trying to find like the lyrics to the second verse and you're like <laughs> keep walking
1: fella good stuff dan really enjoyed uh, this chat today reminiscing about the so we've got a few more questions for you in our encore before we sign off um and uh, the first one well so you've talked about you've been back in Liverpool. Uh, loads of gig venues there. Whenever I go up to Liverpool, you can't walk into a bar without um there being a, a guitarist playing in the corner singing some Beatles usually. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is your favorite venue around the city? Um
2: favorite venue. Um it's probably like for us now, um, it's probably the Mountford Hall. Um that's that's where we've we've played the last few times in liverpool and it's it's about a sort of 2000 capacity um and and they've you know it's it's a great size like it feels intimate enough but you know when the crowd kicks off it gets really sweaty and like um and the vibes amazing the sound system's really good um so yeah probably good for that one but on, on a, for a smaller kind of gig um the, the Zanzibar used to be like that was one of our like stomping grounds when we were starting out so I, I feel like I should always mention that because the the Zanzibar was like the place when, when we were starting out in bands even before we were the Wombats like me and Murph growing up in Liverpool that was the place you could go with like a little cassette that you'd made and give it to Tony the owner and he'd, okay. he'd always put you know it was a place that you could learn how to be in a band and They'd let anyone on stage. <laughs>
0: Fortunately, they let the Wombats on stage, so uh, <laughs> we got to try a few things out. Nice. Nice. Mm. I spent my 18th birthday uh, watching Oasis at the Royal Court, which is a very fond memory. That's oh, wow. Great little venue. Amazing, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, talking of t- t- gigs, but more onto yours, um, what's, what's the best gig the Wombats have ever done? <laughs> um, The be- best in
2: recent memory i'll go for the sydney opera house um oh we ended God. our australian tour and like all the gigs from last year it was that was the last show of the tour and yeah it's, a, it's just an unbelievable place to play like very surreal being there um as a building but yeah it's just iconic and you know that's like how did they let the wombats in here um, <laughs> so that I'll, I'll, I'll go for that one a
1: long way from santa bar exactly <laughs> <laughs> i've seen this on a postcard <laughs> What a way to sign off a, a tour, though. Um, yeah. And uh, finally, the song, the Wombat song, that you're proudest of. Um, i go for Greek
2: Tragedy. Why is that? Um, I think it was just... It was one of those songs that was, um, you know, like we talked about before, with, like, the... You're always searching for this, like, this moment where mm. the song just kind of takes form and and you almost feel like you've just... You're not sure how it's happened but it's just like been inched along somehow by the three of us and it then suddenly you hear it and um it was it was a song like had the the, the sort of keyboard you know the the the, the opening keyboard sounding thing I had it like as a an idea on my phone but it was really slow um and then went into the studio with Todd murph was actually over in la at the time um and started messing around with it and then between us like we put together the sort of opening minute of of the song um the way it sounds and then played it to Murph almost didn't play it to him because it felt too different to the you know to previous one bat stuff um and he was like oh no send me that that's great and then from there we then went to get to LA worked on it together in this like insane house up in the Hollywood Hills that the label had rented for us for some reason whilst we were recording another song that never ended up actually even being released um but we we used time to like we, we hired a keyboard in and like sat in the in this lovely room like um messing around with the song together got the music all down and then kind of it was like right Murph You know, he was like, "Right, I want to work on the lyrics now um, for a day or two. So you guys go into, and we went into another studio, me and Todd put down like the whole backing track, but we'd never, we'd kind of loosely agreed what the melodies were, um, just, you know, singing, whatever, without any words. But we hadn't heard what the song was going to be about or anything. And then two days later, Murph came in and he went, right, I think I've got something, Um, press record, and just stood in front of the microphone and like sang the whole of Greek tragedy the way it was, and we were just sat there in the room, like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. And like, you know, it, it was one of those moments of like, oh shit. And he went, how was that? We were like both like goosebumps, just like, yeah, that's uh, pretty, pretty fucking smart, actually. Uh, <laughs> just do it one more time. And yeah, it was just a sort of felt like a special moment. And also then, the you know, when the label heard it, they were like, how did you guys do this one? What the hell's going on? This is like, they got really, they got really excited and, um, so, yeah, that song's always got like a real positive, like, vibe, aura around it for me.
1: Of course, all like members of the band bring their own things, but you've got respect for for what Murph can do in it and to, to come up with that sort of thing lyrically and then vocally.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- yeah. Most, I mean, to be honest, almost every song, I feel like there's always like a line or two that you just like, oh, wow, that's, it really stays with you kind of long after you've heard it. Um, And yeah, very lucky to have. Uh, Murph and his lyrics in the band for sure. Uh, he's amazing.
0: Yeah, great stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely pleasure to have you on the podcast today, Dan. Great to hear the the Wombat story, uh, reminiscing about some of the early days and the whole journey. Uh, it's great, great to see that the debut album vinyl reissue is out this week, and and uh, and to, to hear how strong uh, the band is still going. And uh, yeah, to look forward to seeing new music from the Wombats further down the line. And uh, good luck with the, the touring coming up. Thank you
2: so much, thanks for having me.